Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1275 entitled, well the podcast title is The Colour Out of Pods and uh, (laughs) our... Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> and our uh, our main title will be Pods of Glory, mm-hmm. or even better, Spodicus, for reasons which will become obvious, or not, as the case may be. <laughs> We're never always obvious on Zero G. I'm Rob Jane. And Megan McHugh. And what was that track that you opened the show with, Megan? Well, glad you asked. That was called Soju, One Glass, and it is the closing credits uh, song that plays over the movie Parasite, mm-hmm. and it is by Jung Jail, Jail. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes, and Choi Woo Sik actually sings that, and he, of course, was in the film as the son. So that is him singing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, I played that because I love the film Parasite, but also because as we speak, the Oscars are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a bit of a rundown on the show, I think, a couple of weeks ago of the nominations. Um, and, you know, the Oscars are a very fraught thing these days, I think. There's a lot to discuss. But basically, like, all I'm just going to say here is that they're being awarded and I'm keeping my fingers crossed for a best picture for Parasite. So we shall see. Because we have shares in it. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen it like three times now. It is true. Yes, I've seen it multiple times. How did you manage that? I bought my ticket and I went along three times. (laughs) No, I just love that film and I think it's really great to see in the cinema. And each time I sort of went with someone who I tried to kind of, I wanted to take someone to see it because I knew they'd like, you know, it's that old thing. Oh, that's special. And also because there's some twists and turns and I always like, um, you know, getting seeing people's fresh reaction. So I highly recommend seeing it in the cinema. They are actually doing a black and white run. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look up the details for that on the Madman website. Uh, some cinemas will be showing it in a black and white um, colour print, I guess, black and white print. So it'll be the film, but it will be in, uh, yeah, black and white. <laughs> It's pretty self-explanatory, really. I tell you, it is so humid today, my glasses keep fogging up. <laughs> I can't see a thing. All right, okay. Uh, mind you, it stops the deadly laser rays from um, yes, well, I'm being emitted. be fine if you keep those long things. <laughs> now, um, have you yes. seen that? Have you seen that? You're just thinking of, oh, this is so deep. You've seen that YouTube video where the cat is like Cyclops out of the X-Men. Yeah, yeah. And his visor comes up and the, yeah. and the blaster then goes everywhere. <laughs> I think there's a companion one where Wolverine is in it. Cyclops, the worst character in X-Men. Yeah. All right. As I, as I try and see through the, f- the fog of humidity, uh, we're going to talk about the colour out of space. Yes, I'm keen to hear. Which is a, a new science fiction horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, the, the jury is out on Lovecraft stuff sometimes. You can sometimes call it science fantasy. You know, whatever. Tomato, <laughs> tomato. Labels, who cares for them? In, Not us. In the valley, they're all inedible. <laughs> the Colour Out of Space. Mm. H.P. Lovecraft wrote the original story back in 1927. 
and it was set in the fictional um, locale of Arkham in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So this is this is the old part of colonial uh, America. Okay. So, and I've often thought that that was a great place to set. Uh, horror stories and oh, science fiction stories and absolutely. fantasy stories. I remember when they did um, Sleepy Hollow, the, the mm. uh, was it a Tim Burton, Burton. movie? Yeah. yeah, Tim Burton movie. Um, I thought that's a, it's a, it really captured mm. something eldritch and arcane mm. about that area. Uh, anyway, so, um, you know, this is a, a very, very strong set of mythos, the Cthulhu saga, the mythology that's echoed on down through the annals of horror since then. And The Colours Out of Space is one of Lovecraft's best stories. And it means that it has been the inspiration for, the direct inspiration for for many adaptations. Mm -hmm. And also uh, it has inspired a lot of other science fiction horror. Um, you know, as well as uh, general general Lovecraftian sort of tropes. Mm. So, you know, you get like um, John Carpenter's The Thing from Another World and, you know, at the same time uh, you've got John W. Campbell Jr.'s um, the original story, uh, uh, The Thing from Outer Space. I'm getting the titles mixed up there, but it's all very thingy anyway. <laughs> it's um, all very thingy. <laughs> it's all very mm. thingy. Uh, and there's a lot of body horror mixed in with that. Ooh. Ooh, I love and hate a bit of body horror. <laughs> yes, the loathsome, the quescence of body horror. Yes. Ah, where are the Soska sisters when you need them? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so in the original story, you had this um, surveyor from Boston. Okay. Uh, which is on the coast. <laughs> I know this because I've been reading a zombie, a zombie apocalypse novel and following it by Google Maps and they just went into Boston and Boston is by the coast. And, of course, they had a tea party in Boston in the harbour. Yes. So there has to be a coastal sort of thing going on there. <laughs> and, you know, aren't the docks like a big thing? Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so this surveyor's coming from Boston, from the big city, and he's out there in the, in the boondocks and uh, there is a, a farm... Mm-hmm. And a meteorite has landed near that farm. Oh, and it's never a good thing. It's never a good thing. It's actually thing. literally never a good thing. Yeah, but this is this is one of the very first never a good things. Where, where, ye oldie, never, yeah, ye, never a good quite thing. Quite literally ye oldie yeah. narrative. Now, that's in the story. Things go terribly, terribly, horribly wrong at that farm. Great. Now, that's in the story. Here for it, yeah. And... That story has been adapted several times mm-hmm. to uh, various mediums. Movies and such. Yes. And uh, also that story has – in that particular story has inspired other things, as we were saying before. Yep. Now, uh, one of the modern – more modern inspirations is Annihilation. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, in- I-, I loved Annihilation. Mm. Now, Lovecraft was trying to do – you can imagine this is like uh, during the era where the, um, the the science fiction pulp magazines are, mm. uh, are bo- starting to boom. Yeah. And he was kind of sick of the cliche of the alien that was too human. Okay. Yep. Yeah. You know, just... Well, because it would be – I think it would be strange if two biological beings – kind of evolved on totally separate planets but ended up being oddly identical. Well, it's handy for... Implausible. It's handy for pulp science fiction cover artists. Well, exactly. And, I mean, I think <laughs> it's more palatable for a human to think about, I don't know, the alien as being somewhat human-like because we think we're the centre of the universe. Well, that explains <laughs> why in science fiction uh, movies and television, very, very seldom, mm. very seldom is the alien's point of view the one that uh, is, it prevails throughout the story. 
Yes. We hardly ever get them, get it from their POV. What I That's what I love. Well, not that specifically, but sort of adjacent to this, of the, what I liked about Arrival, mm. how I think it had a very different kind of portrayal of aliens and language and it was somewhat empathetic to, mm. to that side of things. So. And, of course, Lovecraft um, was one of those <laughs> horror writers from that period who also decided that he would uh, play with motives as well. Okay. He said, well, if they're not going to be human, mm. why would they have human motivations? Well. So, you know, so he's, so he's pi- he was pioneering this back then. Um, anyway, the various um, adaptations of this over time, mm. there have been a quite, a quite a few ones. Some of them where the colour of space has just been lightly sort of washed in over the top. Right. Like the, the 1965 Die, Monster, Die, which is directed by Daniel Heller. Solid title. <laughs> Solid title. Did have <laughs> Boris Karloff in it. Ah. And, uh, and Nick Adams was a staple of the, the actors from that, uh, that, that era. Uh, and, you know, so there's been a few other ones running around back then. Uh, mm. The Curse in 1987, which actually had um, uh, Will Wheaton in it. Ah. From uh, Star Trek Next Gen. There you go. Um, there was one in Italy in 2008, uh, The Colour from the Dark, and one that I watched this morning Oh, fr- from 2010, Di Faber, The Colour. Ah, yes. So, uh, although it's a German film, it's directed by Juan Vu, <laughs> and it was set in Germany and done in black and white, except for the colour of the mm. title, which was a really great idea. Interesting. And it, they pulled it off? Yeah, they did it actually. It was uh, I'm trying to watch this bouncing around on a bus this morning, and it's still weirding me out. Oh. you know. So um, remember our friend uh, St. Joshy, Joshy, the uh, the yes. uh, the Lovecraftian scholar. He mm. said that this was one of the best. He, he said it was the best Lovecraft film adaptation ever made. Oh wow! About this film. Um, about the uh, Die Farbe, the ah, colour. Ah, the German. Ah, yeah. okay. So um, and watching watching. Um, uh, the new, the colour out of space. Yes. Uh, and I think it actually, that one is actually spelt, they, they dropped the U out of colour. because because American. American, yeah. Uh, and that's directed by Richard Stanley and stars Nicolas Cage, who really impressed me with his last horror film, uh, Mandy. Mandy. Yeah. Uh, and also Jolly Richardson. And it was produced by Elijah Wood. Really? It, yeah, he's got, a, he's got a production company called Spectre Vision. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now, the thing about this, um, this, this new adaption, you know, okay. and it's, it takes you a while to get there sometimes. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's taken me so long to get there, I think I'll play a track <laughs> before we actually, uh, All right, let's do we it. actually talk about the, uh, the film. So let's see. I think we'll play The Colour Out of Space, mm-hmm. which is by Pablo Canales Ferdinand. And this is from his album uh, Folkloros Imaginarios. Now, I can't translate that easily. <laughs> or can I? I think that's probably a folklore of the imagination. Mm, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good guess. And it does set the mood for this film. Triple R. Hi, I'm Dee Wallace. Overdone with Gone. Ooh. <laughs> Moody. <laughs> it did set the mood. It was uh, da, 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 da. It was The Colour Out of Space. Mm. Pablo Canales Ferdinand's his concept album, Folkloris Imaginarios. <laughs> and did really set the mood, actually. I haven't been able to locate the soundtrack for uh, Richard Stanley's Colour Out of Space yet. Um, Richard Stanley, the director who was born in Fishhook, 
South Africa, oh. where no doubt he was fishing for the deep old ones. <laughs> well, maybe that's not that's actually not a wise idea. I've seen I've seen that Lovecraftian adaptation, Dagon, and you really don't want to go fishing in those waters at all. <laughs> not unless you've got a much bigger boat. Now, um, he actually has a fairly strange background. Um, uh, descended from the famous journalist and explorer of Africa, Sir Henry Morton Stanley. Oh, yes, okay. You know, and um, his mother was an artist and an anthropologist who wrote books about myths and legends of South Africa. So, okay. Um, and he was, he, 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 he was uh, an anthropologist and he himself, well, as a student at Cape Town University, he used to film um, tribal dances and initiation rituals. Mm. So <laughs> I think he's actually got this whole sort of, skill set running before he actually gets to making films on Super 8, you know, as yeah, um, right. people have done back then. And he's got quite a few um, music videos and early films, documentaries and so on. And he's a bit of a hiatus from filmmaking. So I remember first running into his films in 1990, mm-hmm. a film called Hardware. And uh, that was about a uh, one of those evil robots on a rampage um, quite a good film actually and i think it um if i unless i miss my guess it came from uh uh sort of worked itself out by by copying a short story from judge dread in 2000 AD. <laughs> <laughs> um then there was the island of dr moreau in 1996 and uh, he had much to do with that one because he was the original director of that before um uh, John Frankenheimer was brought in. Now, that's the mm. one with Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer and David Fulis in it. Oh, okay. Um, and a shipwreck of a, of a film that one was too. <laughs> but fairly importantly, I believe, that's a body horror story too. Mm, based okay, on, yep. Based on H.G. Wells' one. And if you think that, that the, uh, the latest Cats adaptation is, is <laughs> <laughs> bodily hor- horrific, then you haven't seen The Island of Dr. Moreau. Um, he... Uh, he pops up as a uh, interviewee in that Jodorowsky's June documentary. Oh, okay. And then he worked on a um, – he was interviewed again for a documentary about the doomed journey mm. of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> There's a few <laughs> other films in between there, but not many. So this represents really a return a return to form for Richard Stanley, mm. um, along with all of the other short films that he's done in between as well, because he has done a few things – Along the, along the way. So um, according to Stanley, this is going to be the first film in a trilogy of adaptations, um, spinning off uh, Lovecraft stories. Okay. And he hopes to go on to the Dunwich Horror after it. Oh, and I've got big aspirations. Yeah, big aspirations. Um, I would much rather see this uh, a Lovecraft horror franchise mm. or universe. Yeah. Ooh, now there's an idea, mm. a Lovecraftian universe franchise. Yeah, that would be interesting, I think. And it kind of, you know, I mean, we, we sort of get, we sort of get hints of that, like in yeah. the Hellboy saga. Yeah. You know, and, and, and there are other ones where they sort of trend I mean, that way. I suppose and... it could still be considered somewhat niche. Hmm. But I think you could do enough. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's got the, the legs or the tentacles to be pretty mainstream, <laughs> yes. if done well. Okay, so it's written by Richard Stanley and Scarlett Amaris, based upon the Lovecraft story. Mm-hmm. And it stars Nicolas Cage. Now, Nicolas Cage is playing uh, Nathan Gardner Mm. and he moves his family to a rural farm and they're trying to make a go of it. It's a tree change basically Mm. for them. 
and a very strange tree change. As we know, the meteorite will land on his farm. Now, previous adaptations have played with um, time and space, which is ironically apt in context of the story for this. And they have done things like set the... Uh, well, the original story is set like around, I think... Um, Either the late uh, 19th century or the early 20th century. Mm. Um, and, and the other stories, the other adaptations, like the one I watched this morning, uh, Defaba, The Colour, mm. that was set uh, now, more or less. Okay. But it had, um, it had its tentacles sunk into earlier time periods. Okay. As well as being giving it a... A visitation from World War Two soldiers, and it was set in Germany. So, like a stylistic mishmash, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You can do that with this story. Yeah, um, and that's probably one of the reasons why it's it's t- tended to be the inspiration of lots of other stories as well. Something lands, um, there are mutations and contamination, ah, mutations, and, and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Um, now, Nathan has got a kind of. Uh, not exactly, not a broken family, mm-hmm. but they have taken a few hits. His, his wife, uh, Teresa, has had cancer and has had a mastectomy. Mm-hmm. Um, his uh, son, he's got, uh, let me see if I can remember this rightly, uh, two sons, an older one and a younger one and a daughter. Okay. Um, one son and one daughter are teenagers and the other son is very young. Um, the older teenage son uh, smokes um, marijuana and uh, the uh, the teenage girl may have a history of um, some psychological problems. Okay. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on here. And, of course, um, you know, the only normal fam- member of the family is Sam the dog. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, they're all, they're all actually pretty, pretty um, within the bounds of, of normal human behaviour, I would say. So mm. I shouldn't call them that. I shouldn't call them not normal. Um, they have a... Pa- I can't never say this. Uh, On the farm, their livestock are alpacas. Mm. I have to take a run at that because I call it (laughs) alpacas. Are they alpacas or llamas? (laughs) No, they are alpacas. Alpacas. Mm. Um, And and, you know, so they're also trying to grow fruit and veg and and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And this is and this is all. I'm not really sure how good uh, a gardener Nathan is, even though that's his name. they seem to be comfortable, uh, even well off. Yeah. But, of course, that's mostly underpinned by Teresa's um, uh, being a big wheel on the stock market, mm. which she can do remotely. Okay. So this is a wired house. I see. A very yep. well-wired house. They've, you know, they've got uh, really good internet and, and cell phones. So, of course, this puts mm. you in, in play with uh, that, that classic apocalyptic trope, when your phone stops working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've discussed this a number of times. You know, that's what in the 21st century, the first sign of trouble is when your phone stops working. <laughs> it cracks me up. It looks pretty. The colours look to be quite interesting. The colours. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the colour palette looks very like. Yes. I don't know how to describe it. Elderich. <laughs> Um, abysmal, mm. loathsome. Interesting. Lovecraft used to love those words. In fact, the film is a, in, in terms of being a Lovecraftian ad- adaptation, they do start it out with a recitation from the story. Okay. Uh, which is perfect because it fits exactly the uh, the environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I haven't. I actually don't know any of these other um, 
actresses and, and actors, uh, except vaguely, like Jolie Richardson plays Teresa Gardner, um, the uh, the wife, and she was in a show called Nick Tuck. Mm, yeah. Did you, you didn't watch that ever? No. I, it's not genre. It's a, It was about like a, it's a plastic surgery drama. I do remember from Event Horizon. She though. was in Event Horizon. I rec- She's got a very recognisable face, but I think you would struggle to automatically pick out things she's been in. One of the things I did appreciate this is it's very well cast for facial facial uh, types. Mm. I won't say that they're odd faces, but they are not the stock standard. Mm. Um, distinctive. They're distinctive faces. They're good character faces for this. Uh, also, uh, Madeline Arthur plays Lavinia, the daughter. Mm. Um, she, she was in like a teen movie recently that I liked, but it's not genre. She was into All the Boys I've Loved Before. Well, she, she was, was in Big Eyes. Big Eyes, yeah. She hasn't done very much, I don't think. Um, oh, she's going to be in the Snowpiercer TV series. Mm. Oh, poor kid. <laughs> she's going to have a hell of a time there. Brendan Meyer plays Benny, the older, the older son. I've uh, seen him before. I actually know of him from Dino Sapien. Mm-hmm. And you know, and so on. We uh, mm. go through the rest but with, of the they're cast. not. We're not talking necessarily big hitters here, except mm. for Nicolas Cage. Cage. It's got an interesting bunch of character actors. I guess. Who even gets even gets a <laughs> a cute little um, a cute little Easter egg line about his. You know, he's got a, a passion for Superman. Kind yes, of thing. very strong one. <laughs> passion is a very nice way to put it. <laughs> so you get a, a soft chuckle when you hear that line. Um, look, there's there's not too much. To this, apart from the fact that it was uh, filmed in Portugal, huh? so it does have that strange sort of feeling to it. It says you're not necessarily uh, in a familiar place, at mm. least you know, because I've not been to Portugal, so it doesn't feel familiar to me. Uh, and also, um, uh, all throughout this film, I keep getting echoes of Stephen King plots in my pinging in mm. my head because Stephen King is riffing off Lovecraft a lot too. Yeah, right. Uh, in fact, directly because um, King is a master of uh, small town and rural mm. horror, just like Lovecraft was. Yes. So Dairy he, Maine, the source of evil. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, never go to, never go to uh, Massachusetts. No. Never go to Maine. <laughs> Maine. Definitely not. <laughs> that whole coast is right out, actually. <laughs> um. Is Nicolas Cage, what is he, is he acting here? Like, is it serious Nicolas Cage or is it campy Nicolas Cage? You know what I mean? Like, some of his roles are, he's leaning into Nicolas Cage and then, like, he's quite good in other roles. Are yeah. we, is he playing this one straight he's not or as, over He's the not as uh, straight down the line as he was in Mandy. Okay. Um, and I think that's... That's a really fine thing to judge in this. Mm. Um, there are times when he goes over the top, but it, it's actually necessary in the story to do that. And you do need to you do need to go to play some of the places that he goes. Okay. I personally do not need to ever go to them, but um, the story does require it, and you actually need some breaks in the tension. Okay. And that is actually served by the fact that some of the lines uh, can play a little bit comic for a, a split second mm. until the, the reality of the horror kicks in. Okay. You know. So it's pretty dark as well. Yeah, even though it's full of colours. <laughs> but it's like they're playing it pretty yeah, serious, uh, I guess. Relatively, I would say. Okay. You know, sort of edging. Like I said, it's a fine mm. thing. They edge over into the red a couple of times, I thought. Oh, okay. But the rest of the time, it's full on and you just think, this is a, a total mess with your head. Okay. Movie. What's your overall? I, I give it a, I give it a, oh, yeah. Okay. You know, it, it, it is 
quite shiversome and mm. repellating in, in many, many respects. It also reminds me a lot, and I haven't been into this, but I imagine that they've done a lot of prosthetics work on this. Okay. More than uh, CGI in Intriguing. some cases. <laughs> yeah, which is traditional, for, particularly for 80s body horror. Oh, yeah. You know, we are talking about Carpenter's The Thing and... Um, Actually, that, this is the film that it reminds me of most, actually. But and then Cronenberg's business. Of but, but that's because we're looping around here, mm. you know, back through history as things inspire other things. Would you reckon you don't need to be that across the Lovecraft element of no, it to not just a, enjoy it? Not at all. Mm. Because those, those tropes have been so well played across the years. Yeah. You will know these tropes. Mm. At the same time, there are... Uh, the focus upon the family in particular, I felt, was very well maintained, as it is in the as it is in the short story. All those many years ago, almost a hundred years ago, actually now. Okay. And I think this is a, a very very strong Lovecraft mm. adaptation, and um, yeah, so it's hard to hard to get to see too. Yeah. Um, like I saw it at uh, Village Jam Factory, mm. uh, and as far as I know, that's the only one that was playing that in sort of the, the city area, but uh, also at the Nova. It is at Nova, Jam yeah. Factory and Lido. So very kind of small release. Yeah. So seek it out if it sounds of interest, I guess. And it does work on the big screen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the poster's pretty cool. Mm. Very retro. Mm. And, and, and you know, I mean, because I've been, um, you've been, you've been sort of, uh, exposing me to more Stephen King yeah, along yeah. the way, so I've seen. A, I, I've, I now feel like this is very Kingian territory. Mm. And, uh, well, the family element, I guess, and sometimes yeah. that kind of something's a bit weird, and maybe it starts out seeming normal, and then by the end, you've gone to this totally other horrific place. Mm. Um, mm. Okay, interesting. Mm. It might be a wait, wait for streaming for me, mm-hmm. but um, I'm going to make a note. It sounds interesting. All right, so we're going to have a track here mm. and I think we'll go with a David Bowie one mm-hmm. um, because on his uh, The Man Who Sold the World album, I think the last track on it, The Superman, mm-hmm. mentions the old gods and the old sort of Lovecraftian elements. And, you know, Bowie went into his like supernatural sort of phase and was referencing um, all sorts of things along mm. there in that line. Hmm. So, the Superman. We haven't got it on our, our playlist. No. Oh, really? No. Oh, I, haven't <laughs> I was looking at Rob with these big eyes, like, where is the track? <laughs> well, then you will just have to pass me. Ah, yes. See, we have so many options here. Yeah, it's go. not just like if the mobile phone dies, <laughs> civilization falls. Either apart. that or I've gone nutty, but I can't see it here. But that's all right. We've got a backup option. Yes, we do. Because we would never be without a... Well, actually, that's not quite true. We have been without Bowie tracks since the great man died. I feel like rarely have we... Occasionally. Mm, Maybe once or twice. So, okay, here is the Superman, David Bowie, the man who sold the world. Hey, this is Craig Charles, Dave Lister from Red Dwarf. You're listening to the London Jet Zero G football show. What? Zero G? Science fiction show? Oh, smeg. We're back. <laughs> ah, Mr. That was Bowie there. Bowie, yeah. Yes, super manning it away there from the man who sold the world. Mm. Yes, very Lovecrafty in that one, <laughs> and and spandexy too in a way. <laughs> Although, what does it remind me of? Um, something that Bowie may very well have read 
Olaf Stapledon's um, man and no, not that's is it George Bernard Shaw. Sorry, um, Olaf Stapledon's Odd John, ah, which is um, a, a, an early science fiction uh, novel. Okay, well, early now <laughs> <laughs> uh, about a uh, a superior being. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very much um, a thing in the uh, early to well, actually, practically the whole twentieth century. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I was actually dabbling in a few old and classic science fiction um, stories at the moment. I'm reading uh, George Bernard Shaw's... Now, what do you call it when there's five plays? (laughs) A collection. Yeah, it's like, you know, a a quin... A quintet? A quintet of Mm. plays. Okay. And it's called Back to Methuselah. Ooh. And it sprawls across um, time and space from... The Garden of Eden right into the far future. Wow. Yeah, big thinks at the moment. I've actually not read any Shaw, I don't think, Too much for me. Yeah. And five's worth. You've got it going to keep you going for a while. No. (laughs) (laughs) At least a day. I I devour these things with an ungodly passion. With a voracious reading appetite. Actually, the only thing that's been slowing me down recently is reading... um, uh, uh, Man of La Mancha, uh, Don oh. Quixote. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Reading it in the long, long edition. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. It's one of those things I actually don't want it to ever end and it probably never yeah. will. Did you see that film adaptation? No, but I've, I, I'm I'm on the cusp of seeing it. Right. <laughs> you know, okay. It's, it's, it's approaching the top of my... Mm. <laughs> Another pensive pile. Adam Driver. Ah. Uh, Outing, yeah. I think. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're just wandering off there, rambling yeah, off. Yeah, sorry. Rob, we're just having our Rob, own conversation Rob here. Reading, yeah. Um, Doctor Who. Mm. Two, two episodes of Roll By since mm-hmm. last we visited our Fugitive Time Lord. Yes. Uh, and the episode, the first one was Fugitive of the Jadoon. Indeed. I love the Jadoon. Last scene on the moon. I was, I was very, I've not seen them before. I could tell they were, they're an ongoing Yes. Yeah. And they always rhyme. It's like the Jadoon platoon on the moon. I thought they were cool. What was it this time? The Jadoon platoon by the lagoon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, dear. Back on Earth they, they were uh, in a uh, city that was um, Gloucester. Mm. I must pronounce that right. Gloucester, which had been domed over by the Jadoon mm-hmm. uh, while they were looking for a fugitive. Yes. And... This is a story that had massive repercussions throughout Doctor Who fandom. It was so funny because we last week we were like, oh, we didn't talk about Doctor Who. And I was like to Rob, oh, it's okay. It was like a pretty boring episode. And Rob was like, mind explode. You have no idea kind of the ripples this has caused in the Doctor Who online community. And I was like, oh, oh no, I get it about the whole reveal thing. But everything up until that point was a real snooze. <laughs> um. Well, okay, we can. I think we can spoil it now. It's been yeah, two it's weeks. Been a couple of weeks. Yeah, everybody who really wants to watch it will probably watch it. Well, it's it. been out for three, really, when you think about it, because it always no, comes true. out that the, uh, today. Mm. So you've had three weeks. Yeah. Uh, this is the one where Captain Jack Harkness returned, mm. um, a favourite character of New Doctor Who's era. I, I think they described it well. He's cheesy but likeable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, John Barrowman um, uh, recently hurt his neck oh. and had to go to hospital. Oh. But uh, he's in fine form here yeah. as Captain Jack. In fact, <laughs> he's a so little cool. bit more um, 
what's the word to describe him? <laughs> Effervescent. Ah. A bit more, a bit more crackling with energy than right. usual here. Oh, so okay, so that is dialed up a notch. Not much, but a bit. Okay, interesting. <laughs> He's often that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, the thing about, and you've not encountered Captain Jack before nope. in the stories. Um, no. He's bisexual. Yep. Um, Got that. He's bisexual. <laughs> He's multi-species. He's a little bit like Deadpool, actually. Love it. I'm into it. <laughs> and in it. fact, like Deadpool, he is immortal. Great. Uh, which could be a burden someday in the future in Doctor Who, as we will, we know from earlier stories in New Doctor, become, mm. where we think that he becomes disembodied and oh. literally becomes this giant head that's known as the face of Bo. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, that's a very complicated That was actually like one of my worst nightmares as a child, just thinking about being a disembodied entity in space. Oh, really? Yeah. You must have loved watching George Melier's films. <laughs> seven. <laughs> go-to. When I was seven. <laughs> go-to film. Of course. Uh, they have to... All right, so... Um, they have to deal with the Jadoon who are tromping around in all of their rhino sort of pomposity and arrogance. Very one-sighted, very, like, yep. narrow focus. Trigger-happy cops. Yeah. They're, they're known as space cops. Trigger-happy space cops. Um, there's a lot delivered in this episode. There's lots of... In this episode, lots of portents and signs about future events. Mm. So it's all been pretty um, uh, mono-episodic uh, with yes. um, the, the 13th Doctor so far. Not too much that, uh, but here to other stories. No. Uh, but here now we're getting some story arc stuff that's really with a vengeance. They're definitely starting to bring to the front some of that Doctor folklore, Doctor's mm-hmm. past, the Doctor, you know, all of that stuff, which I find quite interesting as a newcomer. Um yeah, they're sort of starting to rise to the surface, some of those bigger themes. Mm. And we've got the mysterious, startling entry of another incarnation of the Doctor, mm. apparently. Mm. Um, Dr. Ruth, actually, uh, played by Joe Martin. Mm. And she seems to be both willing to be much more mercenary. Yes. Um, more violent. She's very comfortable with guns. And um, deception. Deception. Uh, and she is just a complicated character with a style that is <laughs> dress sensitive immediately at odds with the 13th Doctors. Mm, but yeah. that's, that's actually, that actually is almost so likely as to be unremarkable because <laughs> <laughs> all of the Doctors are completely different. So here's my question. Uh, I mean, the first inkling that you start to think about the story thread they're going on with is when the woman who's after the fugitive mm. refers to Ruth's partner yeah. as a companion. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, interesting. Now, is there companions are companions, but are there like romantic relationships between the Doctor and companions? In yeah, the they, past? Have, they have been in New Who. Yeah, basically, and there've been hint, or sort of. No, actually, really, it's only really been in New Who that they've fully sort of made it worked romantic. with that. Yeah, they've been they've been wistful, poignant hints. Mm. So before. the Doctor isn't like asexual or anything. Well, I suppose if the doctor changes all the time. Who only knows? (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Because I just thought, I was like, I always thought companions, it was kind of a, I was was interested to know if they'd done romantic storylines They're not companions in the sense of Firefly. No. (laughs) There's a deep cut there. Um, Okay. So uh, I've not seen this actress before much, um, Mm. but you would imagine that she's pretty formidable. 
<laughs> to play a, an incarnation of the Doctor. Mm. Now, the big tricky thing for Whovians mm. is... <sighs> yeah, what's what the chatter? Nu- what number is she as an incarnation? Well, it's implied that it's of a timeline, an alternative well, you Impl- know, implication. They've asked um, Stephen Chibnall, the um, oh sorry, Chris Chibnall, the uh, the showrunner, and he says no, it's not an alternative timeline. But okay. you know, they lie all the time. These people, yeah, exactly, all the time. They tell Can't us these things. Can't be trusted. Showrunners can never be trusted. No, because they, they they don't they're not going to confirm a, a guess a guess are they? Because it'll just screw things up. So it could be a future Doctor that's in this past time. Yeah, or it could be. I don't know. My there are. Mm. You know, there's this conflicting stories about how many incarnations a doctor has, a time lord has. Mm. Uh, can, they can be given extra sets of incarnation, mm-hmm. sort of like awards for good service. <laughs> um, you know, there's there are strange things. Or like that can extra happen. leave, extra annual leave, or something. Yeah, in lieu of. Yeah, she she had a um, an interesting uh, entry because she didn't know that she was the doctor. Well, yeah, she was like. Activated, kind of. Yeah, she'd hypnotised herself Mm. so that she couldn't um, remember anything. Which is why there's precedent for that. Question. Precedent for that. The master has done that to himself a couple of times, at least one. Anyway, so. So, it would be. mm, Yes, Mm. I see. Now this tends to blow the mind of um, many Doctor Who fans. Not me. I'm a comic book fan as well. I am so used to reboots mm. and strangeness and, you know, so it's to me, to me the main thing is do they do it well? Yes. Yep. And in this case, the point is to bring some mystery into the show and, my gosh, they have. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Because I guess then the, the question is like they were looking for her and she's the fugitive. Why? I mean, mm. I'm sure the Doctor's wanted everywhere, but, yeah. The 13th Doctor seems a bit... Taken aback by all of this, mm. it's like, oh, I don't remember you. I'm sure I'd remember you. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I will say Doctor Who's very good at the exposition and she'll have a little quiet moment where she's like, I know my own past, but it is good to help you get in the flow of like, this is a big deal. Yeah. Mm. And the funny thing is that the, the fan theories are so fast and furious. Oh, yeah. this is. I'm sure this has cracked open a can of worms for oh, yeah, yeah. forums and redditors everywhere. You know, everything from, uh, well, maybe the, maybe the doctors had um, uh, uh, time slices taken from her. Yeah, sure. Maybe it's a clone. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe it's somebody who thinks that they're the doctor. Sure. But they're actually of... another time lord. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, everybody, and, and that, that brings into play everybody from the Doctor's Time Lord, uh, presumably Time Lord uh, granddaughter, Susan. So it goes right back to the original Doctor. Um, it could be like one of the incarnations of, of a Time Lord companion that the Doctor once had, Romana. Mm. It could be, you know, it could, I mean, it could this be is a master. It could it. be a master. It could be anything, and yeah. they don't have to do anything about it. Which is why I asked about whether this week's the next episode they'd done anything with that story. Stuff all, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was not surprised by that. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. They 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 they're doing a. They're not going to do a. Let's see. One of those. Uh, you know, when you jump from one movie to the next, they've had a big cliffhanger, mm. and you expect they'll let it lie fallow for a while, but yes. they don't. They just jump into it, and I'm thinking like um, an Infinity Warp. 
Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Yeah, sure. You know, Han Solo, Carbonited, mm. then he's back again. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Yes, R- yes, Roth yes. of Khan okay. and Search for Spock. Spock's dead. No, he's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> Convenient. Well, in this case, the episode following that Praxis, they don't tell you anything at That's all. That's it. We don't hear about the lone Cyberman who was hinted at in, yes. the, in the story. Yes, or, of course. Or we the child. Or prophecy. The prophecies. Um, right, so they just jump into a new story. They do. And, <laughs> and, and it's actually a pretty good story. I thought um, okay. where they uh, – or how much can I spoil this one? This is only oh, – this is two weeks old too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine, I think. Uh, and this is another one of those environmentally themed ones. Okay. Um, another message one. Mm. And I actually have no trouble at all. I could be I can be preached at – um, by Jodie Whittaker um, every day of the week and twice on Sundays. <laughs> I don't care because mm. as long as they do it well and the issues are I mean, they're important and they yeah. are important. You know, mm. this, one, this one is about microplastics. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's mm. a good one. Mm. And, and I, I thought they told the story quite well. And they did it in the style that um, I'm getting used to with the 13th Doctor of, of running all around the world. Yeah. Um, Peru, okay. Hong Kong, Madagascar. Interesting. Mm. And there was a little bit of a zombie element in it, I thought, with, oh. um, uh, with the birds being taken over. Okay. And, uh, and, and I thought that it, it worked quite well. Um, I think uh, they filmed part of this one in, in Cape Town mm. at the same time as they did um, Spyfall. Oh, okay. So, you know, they made use of the that fact that they were sense. overseas. So, yeah. Okay. And, and so do you think it's sort of one of the standout ones? It's a basic Doctor Who one, but it's well told and it's fast paced like all of these new Who ones. Yeah. Um, and initially, you know, going back, oh God, 13 years or so, more than that because they had hiatuses in there um, to the uh, the first of the new Who episodes when they were running them and they were they were running through it um, 40, 45, whatever, 47 minutes mm. uh, and the whole story was in one episode where we were used to an old Doctor Who at least like four episodes. Yes, there was a lot of art, like cr- multi-episode arcs, right? Yeah. I must admit it took me a while to spin up my brain to that speed. Yeah. But now I'm used to it. Well, I think it's a very, <laughs> yeah, it's a common pattern these days maybe because because of the nature of how we stream things sometimes it's either one big long season that's one story or episodic nuggets so you can squeeze in heaps mm. of content i feel like actually there's like an ebb and flow in uh, in the popularity of either one either format mm. in uh, television yeah you know and i've seen the birth of some of those you know like 12 episode doctor who serials yeah which was way too long yeah i, I okay. you know it meant the companions had to be each captured individually at least once and then released and then in, in a group and then released. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. But this, this time um, it's all there in the episode, I think. Okay. Because they can be clever sometimes. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and Jodie Whittaker, I still just love watching her play the Doctor. Yeah, I do too. She's, she's, I think she's very charismatic. She's an interesting Doctor and I think she can play like the earnestness but also the – the more dark Yeah, she can do that. Stuff. You have to be able to – and also do the comedy too. The Doctor has to oh, be yeah. capable of, of changing gears smoothly and instantaneously. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of the joy of the character. Yeah. You know, she just doesn't – she doesn't have a sense of wonder. She has dollars of wonder all the time. Yeah. She's just gone. Oh, that's totally. very true. All right. So that was Praxis. And next – this – today's episode mm. is uh, – if I could get this right – um, can you hear me? 
and being very careful when I click on it that I don't find out anything about it because, <laughs> yeah, I think that's the uh, the ghosty one. Okay. Mm. How many more have we got left? Or is that coming up? I don't know. Um, we've had what? What have we got Four now? Four or episodes? Five? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, couple have we got more? like, because this is not like, um, uh, I think there's 11. Okay. Oh, we've got quite a few left. Okay. Yeah, including a special. Yep. Which I'm not sure if that's a Christmas special or a New Year's special. I don't care either way as long as I as long as I get it. Is that a weird time to do a special? No, not for Doctor Who. Because would they? But they wouldn't they do it at, at Christmas time? Oh no, they will do it at Christmas time. They won't do it. Oh, I'm with you. So they'll we'll have the eleven, and then there'll be a special that'll come out later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't cool. know why I have trouble with Chris Chibnall's name, just remembering it. I exactly. think you just have Stephen big... Moffat, like hard, Stephen Moffat <laughs> hardwired in your brain. Like, <laughs> poor Chris Chibnall's like, can I just get a bit of acknowledgement over here? <laughs> no, I should actually be really good at that because it's like um, it's like Peter Parker or any of those other exactly. repetitive Marvel names. And you names. see that little credit come up all the time. Yeah, I do. Ah, well. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so mm. that's about it for Zero G. I went... Way more long on that than I was expecting to, but it was two episodes. So, yeah. You know, and uh, I haven't actually watched any more of um, Picard yet. No, me neither, but not for lack of wanting to. Well, for me, it's um, I, I can't take the plunge of um, hooking up for Amazon Prime. Yeah. Too many other ones. I know. There's hey, I tell you, I found a free, a, a free streaming service that I, I had vaguely heard of before, but and that's where I watched um, um. Uh, Defaba, the oh, the colour yes. this morning on Tubi, oh, T U B I, okay, and it's full of rubbish. Oh, great! Real <laughs> trash movies. Great. Um, cult you classics. My language. You know what was uh, giant mega shark versus mega octopus? <laughs> you know those sci-fi channel ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and some pretty decent zombie zombie movies actually. Cool. Uh, as well as. Just a whole bunch of uh, different things. Tubi, T-U-B-I, and it's free. Nice. Um, we like free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, now um, as an antidote, well, of course you're going to have so many streaming things Yeah. by the time you finish. Uh, I think today we'll go out with a, a long track from um, uh, Segan Akinola's uh, mm-hmm. soundtrack for the season 11 Doctor Who, yep. Reverse the Polarity. And I think next week we'll probably go have to have a flutter with Birds of Prey. Yeah, be at, interesting at, to see how that's at all. At least. Mm. Mm. And, and we'll get round to a bit more detail on this, but, um, you know, Vale, Terry Jones and uh, Kirk Douglas. Yeah. And just recently Robert Conrad. Oh. All great actors or mm. writers and writers and actors and filmmakers and all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Megan. And Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. <laughs>